Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria and your host. Tonight I am very excited to have Morgan Ellis back in the uh, Role Players studio after a busy day on a uh, shoot, a, a shoot. I'm doing air quotes there for, uh, for Morgan's benefit. Sure. <laughs> he's not going to be drawn on that. He's he's very myster- very mysterious. No, I was actually I was out to out to there with my parents for tonight. They're oh, that was nice. New York. Just because uh, they like to get away from the uh, from the winter from the winter oh, weather. Fair enough. They hang out. Um, so they go coast to coast, and they stay with you as well. I uh, no, they they run a place and they stay out here for about a month. So, oh, is that right? Okay, well, that's yeah. nice. Very, uh, what's the word? Very family-oriented side of you there, Morgan. It's nice <laughs> right. to see. How do they That's feel about so role-playing? By, you know, extra, extra well, not really extra-critical, right? Because it's actually my job to go do the all the crazy stuff up in the valley. Mm, it's, <laughs> that's right. Yes, all the crazy stuff up in the valley. So talking about uh, parents, maybe you could tell us how you got started in role-playing and, and how they felt about it. Uh, sure. Uh, well... My uh, my brother is uh, he's about nine years older than me, and he had uh, a bunch of the old sort of D and D and Traveler, like you know, from back when it was all original D and D from back in the seventies, and Chainmail and the little black books from Traveler, and he had those laying around, and I found those when I was you know a young lad. What's up? Looking for Playboys? No, just looking for uh, looking for you know, ah, what's this stuff? Ooh, this is cool. What's, right. what's it all about? Hey, this guy's killing an orc. This looks neat. <laughs> uh, you know, and what are these little black book traveler thing? What's traveler? Uh, and then I, um, then I uh, moved on to get the uh, red box D and D right, and uh, also had uh, actually first game. One of the first games I ever played was with my dad with red box D and D, uh, and that was a fun experience because he is a lawyer. And so he read oh. the rules and he worked it out. And, uh, you know, I was a dwarf with a crossbow and he said, no, you can't fire at that range because you, you know, or he was very, very strict about looking up the charts and the rules. And I was like, mm. I just want to, you know, I want to be a dwarf with a crossbow. This is neat. Why can't I do that? And then I, you know, I played a little, uh, some TSR Marvel, like the old basic TSR, the phase rip system. Right. Uh, with my cousins and D and D with friends and various groups. And that was all kind of through middle and high school, and then I moved on. I bought uh, my, my first sort of real, the thing that got me excited uh, that I bought myself was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, and that was nice. my game. Uh, and I kind of went down a little bit of a, you know, Palladium Spiral with Robotech and Heroes Unlimited and a little bit of Rifts. Right. You know, Is there such all. a thing as a little bit of Rifts? There is because I never really I like played it once, right? I mean, I bought some some of the books, but I never, you know, it was more just sort of, ooh, this is cool. And you, I, I remember creating up hundreds, if not thousands, of Palladium characters for, right? You know, you roll up a TMNT character or Heroes Unlimited. Okay, what am I? What am I this time? And just never actually played with anyone. Yeah, yeah, I think and, it's a pretty common idea that uh, making characters in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but never actually playing them. I know I must have yeah. made, ooh. Yeah. I don't and, think uh, I, ever, I, don't think I ever played the game. And you know what? It's a good thing because I've actually gone back and played some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff with uh, Josh Roby at a con. He was running a Mutants of Avalon game, right? right. The, and uh, he even tried to, like, story game it up and add in some, like, social 
mechanics and rules and stuff. And it right. was just so, it was sticks and stones technology. It was just really mm. sort of, I, I can bash this thing with a rock and that's about all I can do. And we can right. rub these sticks together and maybe we'll get a spark of something, but that's about all we can do with mechanics. Right. right. So it's just, uh, character creation was cool. Yeah. Character creation was a blast and you know, you get to be a, you know, get to be the weasel or the Wolverine and get the crazy enhanced metabolism and the really good stat bombs. Right. That's or, right. Yeah. 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 But Wolverine uh, was the best one for sure. was a great one. Mm, mm. Uh, and then, um, and then, uh, so, you know, really in, in high school, uh, the only sort of games I did was D and D with my friends. Uh, you know, then I got to college and uh, did a lot of Werewolf and uh, did a lot of D6 Star Wars, the old West End games, D6 mm-hmm. Star Wars, which we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about before. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, then like Feng Shui and Seven C and Deadlands. And um, then I got really big into uh, running Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the old the Unisystem, uh, cinematic Unisystem Buffy the Vampire Slayer right. uh, game. And what I would do is I would... Uh, I'd run my Tales of the Slayers games, right. which basically I'd take whatever, um, whatever genre or movie or uh, you know TV show or historical period that excited me, and I'd just mash it together with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and make a game happen. Right, right. But it's like ancient Rome and you know the seventies, seventies exploitation film, and. Um, I even did a Ray Harryhausen Sinbad adventure one, right? Nice, the nice. Boy, the Slayer and things like that. And yeah. um, and what did you find was the most inspiring uh, sort of media property that you uh, put with Buffy the Vampire Slayer? What was the most inspiring media property I put with Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I think um, the the real the real fun one I did was um, was the uh, the exploitation. I did a Desperado. I did Desperado. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, it was um, La Casa Vampiros, right? And everyone had a, right. either a La or an L before their name. And, you know, it was yeah, like El yeah. Pistolero, El Gringo, right, La nice. Bruja, La Casa Vampiros. And she had a, you know, a, a guitar case full of anti-vampire weapons. And it was just right. very all sort of Mexican We had a masked Mexican wrestler, yes. uh, you know, demon-possessed mask who fought demons. Nice. It was all sort of, you know, it was all sorts of crazy guns against vampires, and that was a that was sort of one of the more fun ones. That was just like this is crazy over the top. Right, right. So, and so you did some uh, some Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then some, uh, like you say, Tales of the Slayer, and then what? Well, then that's now kind of getting into what I'm doing now, and that's uh, mostly fake games. So, right. uh, my friend uh, Colin. Uh, he back in the day ran a Star Wars uh, Clone Wars, but it was the Gendy Tartakovsky, the uh, the traditional cell shaded animated uh, Clone right. Wars. Yeah, which is he likes to call uh, Wuxia monks with laser swords. Please don't sue. You know, right. that, that was the thing. That's so the tagline. What? That was the tagline. That was kind of the tagline of it. Yeah, it was uh, was uh, you know Wuxia monks with laser swords. Sorry, Wuxia space monks with laser swords. And um, so after that, my eyes were open to fate. And uh, actually, funny enough, uh, Mike Olson as well is, is uh, was a, that was kind of his introduction to fate. And we both kind of went off and did our own fate games for many for, right. and basically been doing that ever since. Um, right. I've been playing. I played a lot of Burning Wheel. Um, I haven't run it really because it's not really my game. I have a right. lot of Burning Wheel damage as I 
as my friends have told me. Um, right. And uh, now it's a lot of world games, right? If we're not doing a fate, uh, it's doing a one of the apocalypse world or you know or dungeon world or one of the sure asterisk world. Right. Act. So basically, those are the three go-to games at the moment. Um, right. You know, I love uh, I love Fiasco. Actually, is is one of my is one game that I really like that. Uh, yes. So my friends aren't as keen on, but I I love it. Yeah, yeah. We played it together in a game at uh, Big Bad Con. It was you yeah, yeah, it was and the right and Lenny. Lenny and we had the what were they called the the Nixes the Nixes Mister the newly married Mister and Mrs Nix. If you're out there right, listening. Yeah. I don't recall. Uh, uh, please drop me a line because I, I managed to misplace your email address along with several other important items at yeah, uh, Big Bad be, Con. But um, whole, uh, playbook or playset. That's right. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. And uh, uh, if you see Lenny Balsera around and you're playing Fiasco, watch out for what was the, what was this character's name? That that. Uh, oh God, yeah, I can't remember. There's a, there's uh, a young there's crazy. a young girl that features prominently in most of his uh, stories, according to. Oh no, no, it's the Cindy Peppering. The, the woman. Right, right. Yeah, Cindy yeah, Pepper. So, yeah, so if you're Great playing uh, a game with uh, Lenny Balsera at any convention, listen out for Cindy Peppering, who will almost certainly uh, certainly show up. So um, going back to your um, to fate, uh, yep. how did you get involved with the actual evil hat guys? Uh, seems like kind of the way most people get involved with evil hat guys is I I just sort of was a fan and ran games and did a lot and got to know people. And I hung out with the um, evil hat crew around uh, at one of origins. Um, just cause you know, I'm hanging out at the big bar on two. If you, if you ever been to origins, that's where, if you want to meet game designers, that's a great place to go and meet right. game design, right? It's right. just go to the big bar on two and they're there. Right. Right. Uh, and so we hung out and um, also, I hit the con scene pretty heavily. So, you know, I, I've met him at Dreamation and um, I was good friends with Ryan Macklin. He was out here on the West Coast. And then I just sort of, you know, I just actually, I guess the big thing that I did for them or did when sort of getting involved in the company was uh, evil haberdashering for them, which was the, right. when, when Dresden Files first came out. Um, I ran six games for them of Dresden Files at Origins and then like three games at Gen Con. And then, the next year, I think I cut back to like two or four right, at sure. each of those. Sure. And so I was just kind of de- a demo monkey for uh, Evil Hat. And yeah, so that's kind of led to me getting a tiny bit of work for them. So that's right. fun. Right. And uh, is if you were going to give anybody that wanted to get involved with uh, uh, game designers, um, in a game design sense, at least, rather than stalk them and uh, try to marry them. Um, what would it? Uh, what would it be? Is it? Uh, are game design is pretty accessible. Would you say online, perhaps G plus or, or I think, maybe I think story so. games, I, or? or at least? I mean, it's at this point, it's like half my friends are game designers. So hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe I have a skewed sense of of uh, of what that's like. But you know, a lot of the people that I'm friends with online and Twitter and yeah just follow and be a fan i mean that's that's how lenny says he always got started was uh you know he was a mouthy fan on the forums and yeah yeah, yeah that's the thing isn't it that uh i think that g plus particularly um is uh as a as a hot i don't know hotbed is not quite the right word but it's certainly a place where you're likely to run across some fairly accessible game designers i don't think 
there are any game designers that I've wanted to talk to that I've tried to get on the show that I haven't been able to get a hold of through G plus. So I'm not sure how big it is compared to Facebook, but um, cause I don't have a Facebook. I think for, thing. I think for getting, for getting game designers, they seem to have embraced it quite. I think it's because it's the hangouts are so good, right. For, for gaming. Right. That, yes. it, that it kind of, it was a dovetail effect there. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so if you... Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just thinking, you know, I mean, yeah, if you really, the, the, the idea that there is a, you know, there is a professional game designer that we should not be, you know, that we should put up on a pedestal and yes. isn't accessible to people who are fans of theirs. is kind of crazy. I mean, don't, you know, just try to be polite and don't totally geek out <laughs> and fanboy and take up, monopolize their time telling about your character. Yes. Right. Or you can tell <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You don't know, don't you know? expect a warm welcome. Yeah, I have this awesome character that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, for know, sure. Talk to, talk to them like people and human beings, because that's, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, which is not to say don't tell people about your character. I know that uh, I always appreciate when people talk to me about uh, Victoria. Um, but yeah, try to move on from uh, from talking about your character. I mean, mention it perhaps tangentially. Um, Buying a drink seems to help. For, for help uh, yeah, I was going to say some social lubricant. Uh, Probably doesn't go amiss for the main, uh, for the for the most part. But I was listening to uh, Jason Morningstar, I think it was episode thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's Ryan Macklin. No, I've forgotten which episode he is. Uh, Dinner with Oda Benga is uh, is the name of his episode. Anyway, um, and he was saying that uh, going along to uh, going along to conventions, there are just so many people there that off, it's off. It can often be overwhelming for game designers. I've got a million and one. Um, you know, offers for dinner and drinks and so forth, and, and there's yeah. no happy way to to let people down, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it depends on the the con, right? I mean, if if you're at uh, if you're at Gen Con, it's it's all crazy and hectic, and if you see people for even ten minutes, you're lucky. I mean, mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah. If you're at uh, Origins, a little bit more accessible because there's less people. There's also sort of less places that congregate. Um, mm-hmm. Dreamation and the the whole Dreamation Dexcon and uh, I think that well, there's another one there, but uh, the one in New Jersey is a great place for if you really want to meet game designers, that's a great place to do it, or especially the sort of indie story gamer designers. Yeah. That's a great yeah. place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a smaller, I think it's you're more, if, if you're intent on meeting and uh, telling a game designer about your character, they name for a smaller con than a, uh, than a big well, one. Just, but yeah. for them, talking to them. That's, I know, crazy suggestion, right? Um, yeah. Actually meet somebody face to face. Anyway, so, um, is there anything in particular that's coming out shortly that you're really looking forward to? Uh, yeah, actually, um, well, I don't know how shortly it's coming out, but uh, Atomic Robo is coming out. I'm I'm really excited about that one. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's the new Evil Hat game that's um, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Olson's been working on, and uh, mm-hmm. it's Scott Clevenger or Scott. Let's see if I get this right. Brian Clevenger, Scott Wegner, right, are the. Uh, are the uh, author and artist of the comic book and Tomic Robo is a great, great comic book series. If you, right. if you dig robots and mm-hmm. also just dig comics in general that are awesome. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and Mike has done a couple of uh, very cool things. I've gotten in on the playtesting of that. And it's, um, it's a lot of cool things with the fate system. Um, it's really very quick pick up and play character creation. Right. It really, it, you know, it's there aren't really phases. It's pick pick a high concept, pick three modes, which are kind of overbroad, overarching ways of doing things, and the, mm-hmm. the four basic ones are action, banter, intrigue, and science. 
Right. right. So sure. You pick, you pick three of those. Tell me your high concept of this awesome action scientist of Tesladyne. And right. We're going to go. Right. And right. we're ready to play and right off the bat. And then you, during play, if you say, for instance, um, we were playing at uh, Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, I was running a game which was uh, Atomic Robo and the Abominations that Ate Albuquerque, which right. was out of a 50s B-movie-inspired uh, uh, game. And it takes place in New Mexico. And so a player who's playing the sort of straight-laced rocket scientist, uh, a guy named Ira, right. uh, decided uh, he's riding a horse and he had to rope a cow. And he was like, we're out, you know, we're doing some cowboy stuff because why not? And right. he was like, Sure, you're in Albuquerque, right? Yeah, uh, former, former rodeo star, right? He put down, he was a rocket scientist and a former rodeo star because he decided to, that that aspect would be really cool and useful right. at this point. And so he just sort of made himself that. And yeah, then it works just like an aspect uh, in any other fate game. And he actually get, you actually get a fate point for making up an aspect on the tape at the spot. So right. he could immediately tag it to help rope that calf. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm assuming was handy in the context of the story. It was, it was, because, you know, bad things were happening to the cows. Cattles, cattle were being mutilated, and there were right. strange things afoot at the Iron O Ranch. Right, right. And talking about this sort of quick pick-up-and-play um, game, uh, and thinking about some uh, conversations we've had on Penny Red previously, um, what have you, uh, have you, let's start with, have you noticed a movement towards this uh, low-preparation, fast pick-up-and-play um type gaming in the last even five years? I think so. I think, or it's certainly, you know, a lot of the people I play with are, you know, we're getting older, we have jobs, people have kids, people have, you know, significant others. So it's a, it's a, we have to get together at, um, you know, a lot of my games take place at night, right? We, mm -hmm. we get together on weeknights. Yes. And so we kind of have about three, four hours really to game hardcore. And so it's kind of, let's pick up and play and let's go. And if we're right. not going to actually do a campaign, then yeah, having a pick up and play game ready to go off the bat is kind of, that's where it's at in terms of low prep, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I'm also wondering though, whether perhaps that's, although there's uh, game designers are producing those types of games. I also wonder whether that's perhaps uh, indicative of the fact that, you know, we're getting older. And maybe there are lots of young gamers that aren't interested in that type of thing. And maybe it's kind of like we're getting into, uh, you know, wearing a belt above our naval territory. And we think that's how everybody wears pants nowadays. The hobby is growing. Is that what you're... Yeah, what you're well, I, I mean, maybe the hobby is growing or maybe we think the hobby is growing, but there are a whole bunch of people that aren't interested well, in... I don't know what the actual numbers are, but I will tell you that um, I have actually... I remember one time I was running um, some some uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer games at Origins uh, right. several years back, and I was playing with two fathers, and uh, one had a daughter and one had a son, right. and so we were playing. You know, I was running this game for you know one other person and the, these two you know uh, parent and parent and child, right? So it was right, really right. this sort of like. And I've seen that a lot. I've seen that, at, uh, you know, and I've run into that on several occasions. And, you know, I mean, it's it's a little bit more sort of like this is more of an older guys and or older mm. gals. And, yeah, I've, I've even had a mother and mother and son playing. Yes. And it's usually like they're they're slightly older and their kids are now in the getting in their teens. But it's it's definitely getting passed on. I don't know how much it will stick or if it will become right. a thing. Right. 
that's the kind of question. But I have certainly run into a lot of people running games like that. Now, maybe that's the that's the games I run, and that attracts that element. But mm -hmm. I think that uh, I think that's pretty cool. And I, I know yeah. most of the people that I know who have kids are definitely raising them as gamers. So mm, that's right. Yeah. I, whether it will be you know the full-on tabletop experience, yeah. I don't know. With computer with computer games getting as popular, mm, that's as they right. Are, yeah. The sort of massively multiplayer and just the console stuff. I mean, I don't know what it's going to be, but for right now, I'm I'm certainly having more games and having better games than I had even when I was back in college. Right, right. So it gets better. <laughs> well, it's certainly you know, it's certainly if you if you go and seek out uh, if you seek out good people and you're playing with them and they they don't have a lot of time to mess around and you you don't have a lot of time to mess around. So let's make the best game we can. That's right. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I hear. So what's your favorite book or supplement other than something you're perhaps involved in developing or, or have some uh, other invest interest in? Well, I guess to, um, I guess, I hate to harp on it, but I, I, I think I'm going to say uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, right. RPG was actually a fantastic um, book. And that was uh, that was the classic unit system from Eden, Eden or now it was the cinematic unit system from Eden Studios, and it was uh, C.J. Carella wrote it, right? Uh, Eric Carella, however, however his name is pronounced, but sure. um, it was a great. It was both a great like fan supplement, like it was really good at giving you information and details yep. about the world and the setting. Yeah. Uh, the tone of it was fantastic. There were several points where I just laughed out loud in right. the reading it, which was right, kind of right. cool. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And it was also the game I really cut my teeth on as a GM, right? I really sort of learned how to GM from that game. I learned how to be right. a sort of con GM I am from that game. Right, right. And it really did It did a lot of things that were, you know, sort of not quite the full-on narrative control that we have now, but there were a lot of right. things that you could do. The cinematic part of it really came into four, right? A lot of right. the, the GM, for instance, let that motorcycle go by. Uh, it sounds like this comes up. Got a dinosaur getting ready to eat you there. It's like Jurassic Park Four, you know, starring Morgan Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the GM didn't roll any dice, which was kind of new and novel at that point. Right. right? I just right. had a static target number. You were trying to meet it or beat it, and mm -hmm. I just went from there. And that was right. a really, you know, really kind of fast, cool thing. And a lot right. of the, a lot of little bits and pieces of it were very innovative to me at the time. And right. sort of, I mean. Certainly, there are a lot of other games that I really love and really, you know, I love diving into the settings of them. But in terms of the rules and the overall experience and just my sort of becoming a GM of it, you know, that's, right. that's where I became a GM. So, yeah. And Plus, it's a great book. Well, the game is good art and all that. I've never seen the book, but. Uh... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's got all, it's got not, not just, uh, it's got all the production stills from the, uh, from the studios, but it's also right. got a pretty good, pretty good art on the interior. And, you know, the, the archetypes and things and everything that was sort of made up for how do you play this game without, you know, without actually being the characters from the show. Right. They really right. did that. So. All right. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so if, on the flip side of that, is there anything that you'd like to cause to cease to exist? And it doesn't mean you have to say, you know, like, I hate this game, but, you know, something that uh, has rubbed you the wrong way for some random reason. Uh, something I could, I could cease to exist. I really, I, I really have a hard one with hard time with this question. Cause I, I, I really 
don't want to poo-poo anybody else's fun. No, no, exactly. Well, that's the thing is it's it's not yeah. really about poo-pooing somebody else's fun. It's about like for example, the one that uh, that I say is, is travel. It's traveler for me, and the reason why it's traveler is because it's the first role-playing game that I played, but I spent hours sort of trying to make a character and then I died in character creation and never actually got to play it. So that's not, it's not on Traveller. You know, that's on, on my experience. So that's, uh, yeah. and then uh, Robert Ball said he wished that Dungeons and Dragons was never existed because he would have been interested to see how um, the hobby would have uh, originated if it hadn't originated from there. But, but yeah, if you don't I have mean, a ready I, answer, I, I, guess that, I guess that's the thing is it would have to be a, uh, have to be a big thing. I don't know. I, I guess... I guess the, the thing I'd like to cease, cease to exist it would be the um, would be the very sort of isolationist uh, nature of the gaming. Right. Um, I like, for instance, in the local con here in uh, LA is uh, Strategic Con, right? And that's uh, three times a year, and it's um, it's OrcCon, Gateway, and GameX, right? And um, there is a there's, you know, the, the RPG hall, and then there is the RPGA hall, right? Mm -hmm. And the RPGA hall is just filled with people playing RPGA games, and that's the way they play. And then the RPG hall is filled with all the other games that are or all the other, you know, RPG games. Right. And so that's story games, that's, you know, tr more traditional D&D games, it's all that stuff. But there's no, I don't know, I guess I wish people would uh, come over to, different sides of the table, right? I mean, I've, right. I played an RPG game once or twice. I played in, a, you know, some organized play. I didn't really find it that great, but it's not my thing. But I wish other people would come over and give other games a try because if you're just exposed to just D&D or just that sort of organized play experience, yes, I feel like that's a very, you know, that you're not getting the whole picture and you're not exploring and you're not trying other things. And, um yeah, I think that's I think that's what I'd like to do because I had I actually had a guy come over from the um, the RPGA hall one year and he. Yeah, what's RPGA for the listeners here? Uh, that's the, the uh, new elitist role, jargon using person. The role playing game association or something. I, I, it's the it's the organized play. It's where you play a persistent character. Yeah. And you go into a different module, and your treasure is the same treasure. And mm. there's you know you sort of have played that module and playing that module in one location means you should have the exact same look experience playing it somewhere right. else with a different character right. but the it's that organized play persistent character stuff and he yeah. so that guy came over and played one of my games and he was like oh my god you guys have so much fun over here i'm like well what are you doing over at the other place shouldn't there right. be fun everywhere here yes yeah and i think that would be the thing it's like just play cool games and have fun yeah all right so uh is there uh I'll go for a slightly different take on that. So, um, what's your um, what would role playing hell be for you? And again, this doesn't mean choosing a game, but you know, what sort of experience would be uh, would be diabolical for you, like like a nightmare scenario? Uh, what would be a nightmare scenario for me? Um, and this is really about your preferred style of play. It's not really saying yeah, anybody yeah, else's yeah. worse, but uh, my my nightmare scenario would be a a sort of tactical um, I think it would be a tactical exercise where I you know had to do I my anything I could do that would be original or neat or interesting would be totally disregarded and <laughs> no you can attack yeah. or you can you know move here yeah. or you can yeah. cast this spell 
but you can't do anything else. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be pretty. That would pretty, be pretty bad. I I really do not like to be deprotagonized. I like if I'm going to play a character, I want to emulate fiction. I want to emulate uh, the movies I've seen, the TV shows I watch, the books I read. Right. And if that's the case, I don't want to be a pawn who moves around a right, right. and gets yeah. killed because, well, you had one hit point anyway. I mean, I think that, right. that sort of thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and, and really bugs me. Yeah, right, right. Fair enough. I think anybody it would bug a lot of people. But, I mean, I guess there's a certain element of, uh, you know, so there's almost the tactical gaming sort of role-playing type. Um, divide there, right? Like you would. Yeah, I mean, but it, the... I mean, it can it, it can even be, you know, sort of. I just have no agency, or I have no. You mm, know, right. We're yeah. here. Oh, we're here to listen to you talk as a game master. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Story, yeah. and I have no no say in it. And right. Yeah. That's that's sort of the crux of it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. What's your last role playing supper going to be then? So role playing is going to cease to exist. So you're allowed to play one last game. What's one, it going to be? One last game. I think it would have to be. I think it would be a, I think it would be that fate those fate Star Wars games that that would be right. that'd be great to just get together with friends and play that right I think that would be that'd be good okay fair enough okay so do you or should a dun, a GMs or DMs what do you want to call them fudge dice rolls uh well I think uh, I've certainly done it in the past uh, as a GM I I try pretty much not to do it anymore and I don't really think I have done it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, past being, you know, five or 10 years ago at this point. Right. Um, Cause really most of the games I play, um, you have some ability to fudge those dice rolls mechanically. Yes. Yep. yep. Right. So I have fate points. I have bennies. I have some, juice that I, I have some points I can spend to try to manipulate the just random fate of the dice. Sure. And so as a player, I mean, I, cer- I certainly think my players should be able to, you know, and if I am fudging dice rolls behind a screen, they don't know how much they, of their resources they have to spend. And I feel that's really, that's, you know, that's kind of taking it away from them. So, yeah, sure. Um, Do you think that it's experience then? Uh, a number of other, I've sort of proposed the same uh, question um, in a slightly different way, but for people that say no, I say, you know, did you did you ever fudge dice rolls? And uh, the answer is invariably yes. Um, and the reason uh, the reason sort of why I ask that question is I'm wondering if it comes from the more you play, the more you're capable of, as a GM at least, for dealing with anything that crops up. So it's not a matter of um, I'm fudging the dice roll because I want you to win or I don't want you to lose. It's I'm fudging the dice rolls because I can't think of something interesting to happen at this point by making you fail. So I'm going to go ahead with the, with the standard narrative here. I think that could be, I, th- I think that could be the reason or one of the reasons for it. Um, but I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the games that I've been playing recently, um, you know, du- the apocalypse world, the dungeon world, I really kind of dislike the, the apocalypse world, the way the dice worked at the beginning, but I've come around to it. And um, it's a lot of that, um, a lot of the sort of failing forward or um, interesting uh, right. failures, right, of the hard moves or the partial successes yes. that you get in the in the world games. Uh, a lot of that is now being put into Fate Core, right? And uh, I feel like those are sort of that mitigates that factor, right? You're supposed to be come up with something interesting, and if you can't come up with something interesting at DM, 
ask your player. You right, know, right. It's one of those things of, hey, what, what do you think happens to you? Well, mm-hmm. something. Oh, exactly, yeah, for sure. You, so. Yeah, I hear um, so I mean, uh, when I'm doing when I'm doing a fade game, all the die rolls are up front. Um, the you know the the classic unit system, as I said, I didn't roll. I was just uh, set, I had a number, right? And uh, it's kind of the same thing with my a lot of characters that I'm NPCing in fake games. I have a number, right? I've got well, they've got this this number to roll this skill. Mm. So right, it's yeah, really. Sure. That's it's all out in the open, right? I right. tell people what they need to roll. So yep. I think if I it's fudge dice, no, which is yeah. odd, odd because they are fudge dice, but, you know, yeah, yeah. dice now. Yes, right. Yeah, uh, for sure. But, I mean, there, there is actually, I mean, I, I, I think there is something about that whole sort of the GM screen, right, and having that right. Behind, right. The main, behind the curtain and having that power yeah, yeah. To, to mess with the dice and the probability. I mean, I, I, I've never, I don't, at least I, I never did it myself, and I hope, I've never had it done to me, but the have a die set to a 20 and then roll another die and lift the screen up and say, ha ha, I got a 20. You know, I mean, that, that sort of thing is crazy. I mean, that just is <laughs> mind boggling to me. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. But that I, was kind of a, that was an idea. That was a technique that could be used. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Weird. Strange. Yeah, for sure. Well, while we're talking about uh, dice, then do you, have you have any, do you have any dice superstitions or uh, know of any crazy dice superstitions? <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, I, I don't have any. Um, no, I mean, I will occasionally change dice if I'm rolling badly. I think that's just sort of human nature to it's, you know, it's slightly magical thinking. But mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Right. Uh, I do like all my fake or fudge dice to be the same color. I think right. that's kind of I, I do like that. But uh, if I'm rolling, you know, other dice pool games, I don't care too much. So I don't know. I think that's about it. I don't have any other, you know, didn't have to rub them on anything. Right. Or, right. Any you know. weird scenarios come up with people's dice superstitions that you've sort of looked askance at or uh, tried to hide your uh, your your humor at their uh, craziness? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, my friend, uh, the closest I can think of in, in recent time is my friend, uh, you know, my friend James, he rolls his dice and he, he will invariably clatter them to the floor, and so he has to have a you know a die rolling cup to do it on. Yeah, yeah. I, I play with a guy by the name of uh, of Clint, who uh, has been on a couple of episodes previously, and uh, I think in the three or four years we've been playing together, I might have dropped the dice on the floor, you know, so few times that I can't even remember. But he's he's chucking them on the floor continuously. I'm not quite sure what it is, but but yeah. So not really a dice superstition. But here's a another question for you: standing up or sitting down as a GM? Uh, a little bit of both. Mostly sitting down. Um, mostly sitting down, but in, in big moments or when you're getting excited, uh, standing up is good. Uh, there are some techniques that I've heard which are interesting, um, which um, Ryan Macklin actually was, was talking about this, which was uh, basically standing up and actually moving around the table to draw focus and interest to different players right. as you're actually as you're talking and asking the questions, right? If you're asking somebody across the table's question, you're standing up behind someone, right? They're going to focus on that person, especially if they have to engage with them. Like, Hey, are you going to, and I have also seen, you know, I've also seen other GMs work at work at table and, um, you know, I'll stand up when I get excited. And when it, when I have, when I feel like the energy is getting low, it's always a good sort of boost in energy to stand up. Um, 
well, you know, for the most part, I'm, I'm, you know, we're, we're walking around convention halls and standing up for a long time. So, right. I don't know. Take a seat. Yeah, the, yeah. I've, I hadn't until I went to Origins in 2010. Uh, I had never seen anybody stand up doing GM. I'm like, okay, I guess that guy's going to sit down in a second. He's not sitting. He's standing up. The ho- he's going to stand up the whole time. Okay, yeah. I'm going to be looking up his nose the whole time. What's going on here? Why can't you? Yeah, I, a don't chair right I, I, I don't. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess it's just a style thing. But yeah, I, I found it sort of weird because I'd never seen it before. Well, I've seen. I mean, some people are just really high energy that way, and they just have to sort of be up and moving. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'm just past that age. I'm just not very accepting of standing up GM uh, type stuff. But I can well, see the, the old joke that if everyone at the table is standing up, right, then you're then you're actually LARPing, right? That's right, exactly. It's so. you're in dangerous territory there. So how do you feel about LARPing? Uh, I Are think you a LARPer? Cool. Let's put it like that. I am not a LARPer. No, um, I think it's cool that my friends do it, but mm-hmm. I and there are some LARPs that I'm like, ooh, I have to do that. Like that's drawing me in and that's mm, pulling me in mm. cool enough that ooh, i want to do that right uh but usually they're not the um they're nine ten times out of ten they're not the classic fantasy larp right because i really don't dig on the classic D fantasy that much to begin with right and sure. so the idea of dressing up in a fantasy costume with a buffer and heading out in the woods and doing that for a weekend really doesn't appeal to me Right. And the few LARPs I have done have been like I did a seventh C one, I did a I did a Bulldogs, I've done a House of the Blooded a couple of times, but I don't know, I just I don't get the the thrill. I feel like it's also maybe too many people interacting and too much stuff going on and I can't sure. Yeah, I, I can't do my thing. Right, yeah. If you want to have a social game, it's often difficult to sort of absorb everything that's going on in a LARP situation, right? You can I mean, you can certainly sample the fallout, but um, I played in uh, Luke Crane's um, LARP at uh, Big Bad Con this this last year, um, mm-hmm. and there are, I'm not sure exactly how many characters there are there, um, but yeah, one thing that I find difficult about LARPs is that I, I kind of want to know what, all of the stuff that's going on, even if my character doesn't, and I find that uh, yeah, I find that certainly find that more difficult. I mean, it's not to say that it's not fun. I had very much enjoyed myself uh, playing that game, but uh, I kind of feel like I've missed bits, and I'm never ever going to see those bits. It's not like I'm watching it on TV where I can you know see the cutscenes. Right, yeah. It's like stuff happened, and I had no idea what it was, and it affected me. But I don't. There's just no way to go back and see it. And I guess in a lot of respects, it's more like real life. But you know, in terms of the game, I'd, I could have liked would have liked to see any of those cogs and. Uh, Cogs in motion, but uh, I think also again for in terms of LARPs, um, like there's uh, there's a con out here called Weird Con, which is all LARPs. It's just it's just LARPing, Mm -hmm. but it's a whole bunch of different LARPs. And one of the ones they do is they do a Firefly LARP, right? And that sounds very cool to me. That that excites me. Is like, who I could go, you know, be a Firefly dude. Uh, There are some Dresden LARPs that have gotten played, and where you're like. You know, I, I, I like a modern day LARP. Actually, there's a, recently in uh, Sweden, right? They did a Battlestar Galactica LARP. Yeah, it was on uh, G Plus today. Museum yeah. ship, right? They did it on a museum destroyer, like yeah, a yeah, yeah. And they all got in costume, and they're all like, they actually had like you know hooked up monitors and mm. you know cameras recording stuff, and everybody's into it. But I mean, that's just it's the it's also the investment of okay. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it right, and I'd want to have to buy a cool costume. And if I mm-hmm. buy a cool costume that costs, you know, many, 
many dollars yes, yeah. or really once a year, maybe twice a year, if I'm lucky. I, yes, I, right. It's right. not worth the investment to me. Right, sure. So, sure. so know, if you could just my, be a player or a GM, which would you choose? Uh, be a player, I think. Um, I, I like playing too much to just be a GM. Right. Um, yeah. And so what about, uh, is that because of the types of games that you like to play so where there is more of that input from players than perhaps a more traditional setup and that's, so it's less of a decision to make? Uh, maybe also just sort of, um, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm playing a game, I can also, I like games that have a lot of narrative control for players. So if I get, if I want to take the story to direction or suggest something or add, right. add a bit to the game, Usually I'm free to do that and the GM will enthusiastically. Right. Okay. So if you could only play Dungeons and Dragons, which would you choose? If I can only play Dungeons and Dragons, uh, probably a player because, you know, then at least I get to, you know, have some control of my character doing fun stuff and see how far I could push it. Right. Cause I'll, I'll do that even in a, in a D and D game or the most game possible. I'll, I'll give it a go and see what happens. <laughs> just see, see what, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, usually, so, actually, the, the DMs are kind of like, whoa, you're talking in character and, you know. Yeah, right, right, yeah, it's a lot less third up. person. Oh. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So okay. what's your role-playing elevator pitch and your go-to example of play? Uh, my role-playing elevator pitch is, um, I think it's, um, okay. Uh, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite television show? What's your favorite book? Mm-hmm. And they'll tell it and say, okay, so have you ever wanted to be a character? Have you ever wanted to be a character in that book or in that movie, in that TV show? It's very much comes from a sort of cinematic um, media property element, right? It's sort of mm. what would you do in this situation? Or what? how would you like to be a character like that guy, right? Right, how right, right. Some other guy in that universe. Would you like to do that? And then my sort of go-to example for play is actually my big go-to example for um, uh, for fate, for how fate should work. Uh, and it's uh, the cantina scene in Star Wars, specifically Han shooting first, right? Because right, right. that is the best example of how to make aspects and put them on the table. Right. And how the whole interplay works. Because right. pretty much everyone should have seen it by this point. I mean, some people, mm. I guess, haven't, but... If you're a gamer, you probably will have seen it. Yes, right. And it's so sort of very clear what the character is doing, right? Han Solo says, um, you know, man, I need some fate points. I kind of, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm out of fate points. Let's see. I'm in debt to a crime lord, right? He looks at his aspect and says, compel me on. I'm in debt to a crime lord. He self-compels. Right. Give, me a, give me a fate point. And I give him a fate point, and I throw Greedo in his way. And he right. has to get past Greedo. But he can't do it because he's got a blaster on him, right? He can't just, right? He, he needs to build up his his resource of fictional ability to, to you know, basically blow the guy away, right. right? He can't just simply pull the trigger. So he, you know, he bullshits Greedo, right? It's a deceit role. He puts down an aspect of bullshitting Greedo, distracts mm-hmm. him by flicking the thing up on the on the wall, right? He's distracted. He's got the stealth roll to draw the blaster into the table. It's all these different skills get rolled. Mm. and add to the fiction and put, get put on the table. Right. And then he finally blows the guy away, and he, he spends his fate point to use his aspect of I shoot first, right? right, to just 
to make it happen. Yes. Right? To, to, to get that rolling. He's got plus eight or something, right? I usually work out the math for him and, um, and then he goes, wait a second. Great. That was a great scene, but I'm still in trouble with, you know, I still don't have that fate point that I wanted to get. And so right. then he goes, uh, sorry about the mess. And then he gets a, he, uh, he invoked his, I'm a scoundrel. So right. basically right. that's why the Imperials and Jabba show up at the docking bay 94 later. Right. right. I mean, it's a great example. And Star Wars, Indiana Jones, both of those trilogies, both those trilogies just are chock-a-block full of examples of aspects and fate as it's right. when it's really working and clicking how it should work. Right. So that's my usual go-to example of play. Nice. Okay, so if you could be a character in a role-playing game and role-playing game universe, uh, what would it be? And this doesn't mean you get to play a character, it's just like suddenly Morgan Ellis is in that world and he is that character with all of the implications and uh, dangers of that. Right. Um, God, that's tough. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd, I'd, if I'd want to be myself in any particular game. That really seems kind of... Uh, well, you can be somebody else if you want, but you've got to be that character. You've got to be that character, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, gosh. So you can be like Bart Simpson in Springfield if you want, but you've got to be Bart Simpson. But you've got to be Bart Simpson. Yeah, I, mm. I don't know. I guess, uh, you know, I guess maybe Star Wars. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool just to see what okay, that's so like. So you're in the Star Wars universe, and who are you going to be? Who am I going to be? I don't know. It depends on what time period, right, or what, what uh, the, the Star Wars universe. <laughs> oh, super nerd. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's going to be uh, during the whatever age Star Wars, uh, the new hope. The original. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, I, I could, uh, yeah. I don't know, smuggler, right? I mean, being Han Solo—that's that's that's got to be right up there, right? That'd be pretty cool. And would you have a Wookiee for a friend? Maybe, you know, or maybe some other weird alien. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Flying around, bad. blasting people. There you go. Getting into trouble. Yeah, right, fair enough. Um, so, uh, do do you think you've got a role-playing game uh, soulmate? Now, it might be Buffy the Vampire Slayer again, but it may be something different, like a game that uh, you. Uh, the feel just just fits you perfectly. Doesn't didn't require any extra work and was just sort of love at first sight. Um. Well, once again, I think uh, I think fate came pretty close. Um, right. At least now. I mean, currently the the current incarnation certainly. I mean, there were there have been games going back and sort of you know looking at games. I mean. You know, like TMNT was that was that was my jam back in the day, mm. right? But right, that was right. because I was comparing it to AD and D. Right, and right. It was sort of this different thing that could do that thing that I wanted to do. Right, right. Even though now looking back at the rules, it probably couldn't have. Right, yeah, sure. But in your head, it was perfect. In your in my head, it was perfect. And then you know, moving on. I mean, Feng Shui was just like, oh my god, this is kind of mind opening. Hmm whoa, I get to do, you know, do that cool Hong Kong action movie stuff. And right, this, right. the game actually sports it. So right, right. I think right now it's definitely fate. It's definitely that. It's just sort of, it's so much is my style of play and is my, mm. what where my strong suits are, so. Right. Because that sort of question comes out of, you know, like, uh, you know, when you're in high school or, you know, maybe junior high and you date a girl or a guy and you, then you date another girl or a guy and they're the, they're the best thing when you date them and then, uh, things change, circumstances change, they're no longer the sort of right person. Do you suppose you ever get to the point in role-playing where you find a game and you stick with it? Because I know there are people out there that are still playing Dungeons & Dragons, you know, 35 years later, right? Yeah. Um, 
I know it basically happens for me where I will stick with a game for much longer than my friends. I mean, my friends seem to move on to sort of the new hotness mm. and I'm kind of left, left in the dust running various games. And I'm just like, Oh, well, I guess they're, they're moving on. And, mm. um, so I tend to find the, the game that I dig a lot and then stick with that for a very long time, but I'm not the, you know, full on 35 years still playing D and D with the same friends right. I had in high school. I mean, I just, I, I, I can't, imagine that world or i can't imagine people doing that but it's right. cool that they're able to keep it up but mm. i can't believe it yeah it's uh, yeah it's a little it's a little uh, difficult for me to get my head around as well you know with so many different choices uh and so many different genres available it's like eating you know the same dinner every night for the uh for the rest of your life at least there seems to be so much more food out there you could you could sample but yeah. hey as i say as long as you're having fun you're winning so um so, uh, Gandalf or a Voldemort? Gandalf or Voldemort? You can make them fight if you like. You don't have to. You can just choose your favorite. Uh, I'm going to go with Voldemort. Yeah, right. I'll go with Voldemort. He's, uh, I think he's, uh, he's got a, yeah, just got a cooler, cooler vibe at the moment. All right. What about uh, Dumbledore or uh, Voldemort? Dumbledore, Voldemort. That's that's a trickier question. I would say, I think with the Gandalf thing, right? It's really more that Gandalf is a, he's you know essentially an angel, right? He's a very mm. not human, right? I mean, sure. Yeah. Voldemort more difficult to identify with, certainly as a person, right? And the same thing with Dumbledore. So they both actually have interesting stories about where they come from and why they're right. doing the things they're doing. So I think that's that's a, diff, a more tricky issue. Whereas Gandalf's just sort of. He's there. Yeah, he's a badass, but he's he's not really human in that way. Right. Okay. What about Buffy or Hermione? Buffy or Hermione? Uh, I guess I go with Buffy. Yeah. Right. She's. Uh, I, I. I mean, you know, Hermione kicks ass, but you know, not in a not in a, not as a physical way, right? She's more of a brainy type. Right. Sure. All right. So you prefer brawn over brains. I, I I I very much uh, prefer the uh, the Robert E. Howard right. If I if I just make a character who all he knows how to do is swing his fists or a sword, then it's a very simple. You know, you throw a problem at them, they have one mode of attack, right? They're just going to get in there and start throwing punches because that's what they know how to do. And I think right. that's that's cooler or easier to certainly grasp onto and go for. All right. so I, don't know if I mean, if it was just a brainy character, right? If all I had to do was work with my brains, then, hey, that's how I got to attack the problem. But I like that sort of single focus of simple solution. Right. Okay. So in that case, Terminator or uh, Boba Fett? Terminator or Boba Fett. <laughs> uh, hmm. I think I'm going to go with... Um, Oh, the Terminator. I think. Uh, I think on a whole, it's a, it's an easier right. He's he's really just got one mission. Whereas Boba Fett, you know, he's he's gotten so much mythology built up and backstory built up around him that he's just so. You know, where do you know what what begins? Whereas you know, the Terminator, he's a robot. He's there to kill you. He's not going to stop. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't bust him. You know. Before. What's what's his background? What's happening? Why is he a badass? I don't know. What's happening? I, right. Now, now he's a little kid. Now he's an entire clone army. What's going on? Do you think that uh, um, they'll uh, resurrect Boba Fett? Like he uh, would have blasted his way out of the Sarlacc? Could be. I mean, you know, 
at this point, it's it's what what might make a money or what might make a compelling story. Mm. I think you know his story in the EU has certainly been gone over many times because people people love him, so they'd be kind of foolish not to keep milking that cash cow. But if they mm. you know want to, I'd I'd much prefer you know new scoundrels and new bounty hunters right. and new cool people and new sure. guys. We can say, who? What's that guy? Mm-hmm. Who the hell is that guy? He's got a cool mask and a jetpack. What's going on? Yeah, show us how nerdy you are. Name uh, name two other bounty hunters other than Boba Fett. Oh, uh, Zuckus, Forlom. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's see, Greedo. Uh, uh, Bosk. And uh, Dengar. Yeah, I, only, I only know two. Like, I, I know Dengar and Bosk. Um, and then I, what's the name of the big, um, the name of the big robot guy? Oh, IG-88. Yeah. IG-88. Yeah. 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 That's the, uh, yeah, that's the, those, I, those, I only know two of them, Dengar and Bosk and, uh, well, and, uh Boba yeah. Fett, but, but yeah, but you're, you're far more, far more nerdy than I could ever, I could ever hope to be. Okay. Oh, one more, one way. more versus before we, uh, go for the, uh, for the last couple of questions, really test your, uh, role-playing credibility. What about, uh, Luke or Harry Potter? Luke or Harry Potter? Um, I'm going to go with Luke. Just because? Well, because they're both kind of whiny, and they both have, you know, the poor orphan hero's journey, all that stuff happening. But I feel like Luke actually goes out and affects change, or he he tries to, you know, he's going to go do it, he's going to go be the hero, and he's going to go step up, and he's also not you know 10 years old or 12 years old so he's not getting constantly put in his place and mm. things happening around him that he has no control over he has much more sort of agency in his in his life sure so but he's not magic he's got the force he's got a lightsaber right i mean you know yeah a wand versus a lightsaber come on <laughs> there, there's no <laughs> expelliarmus luke try that yeah. on for size <laughs> okay uh another one's occurred to me uh, what about darth vader or voldemort Darth Vader of Voldemort. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry. These are important uh, questions. Uh, these are important questions, but it was uh, this uh, this little exchange kind of came up recently. But um, no, so I would say probably uh, I'd probably say about Darth Vader. He's got a you know it's, it's the classic. Go with, go with the classic. All right. Fair enough on episode 57 um morgan told us a story about some chap who wanted to to kill a whole bunch of ducks with a high-powered uh spacecraft and i prevented him from telling a big bad con in october and i actually want to hear this so, this is actually a different story that i wanted to tell which was all right uh, i'm all for stories tell me a story uh well entertain so, me this was back at origins uh, a couple of years ago and this was when the fire the serenity actually the serenity rpg was coming out it right been for about a year or so right and I had run it, and I'd played it, and I'd, I knew what was going on. And so I was playing Jane, right, because we were actually playing the actual uh, right. Serenity crew. Yeah, yeah. And so it was one of those things where I was just – it was one of those uh, people paying attention at cons, right, paying people attention to the table, what's going on at the table, what people are doing, what people are interacting with. and. Right. I was playing Jane and I was playing Jane like a madman. I was having right. a, the time of my life. I was, I was jumping over apple carts, you know, right. coming up with two guns and an apple in my mouth and sure. going crazy. And it was, you know, and I, I had cunning plans all over the place. Right, sure. You know, I, I, I was, I was getting my Jane on and it was great. 
<laughs> However, what I was doing was because I knew the system, because I knew the game, because I was excited and into it, but I was just kind of, I was on stage. I was performing. Right. With right. The right. But the, uh, the woman next to me, she was rolling dice and I was just kind of counting them for her. Right. And her significant other husband, boyfriend, whatever was on the other side doing the exact same thing. Right. And I was having a great time playing chain. I was kicking ass, taking names and, Oh yeah, that's a seven. And you know, I roll my dice and I do my thing. Yeah. And finally she said, Oh, well, why don't I just stop playing? Because you know, you guys are, <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, I am the lowest scum. In the <laughs> I'm I that guy. <laughs> and that moment was just like, Oh my God. I, I realized that I was not, um, I was being a very rude player, even though I was having a great time and entertaining sure. other folks with what I was doing. It was mm. not, you know, I was not being a good player at that point. I just, and it just crushed me. And I was just like, I thought that was a great little sort of concert where I, you know, I apologized profusely after the game and during the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I got back into it and we played, but I really, that little moment where you're not paying attention to what other people are yeah, doing yeah. and not collaborating to do this group activity. Yeah. That you do. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. even if you're having fun, if you're kind of spoiling other people's fun or if you're, right. if you're doing those things, you got to pay attention at the table. And that's really a, a big thing I learned at that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tough, tough way to learn that lesson. But uh, Meg Baker, episode 34, I think, was was talking about uh, about that as, you know, being really aware of the people that there are around the table. And even though maybe your character is front and center now, and yeah. keeping in mind that it's a good idea to try and uh, share that stuff around. So do you, do you feel better, Morgan? Do you feel like you've unburdened yourself? Of, uh, well, I, I just, that, that's, that's one of, you know, a lot of my con stories are sort of, oh my God, this guy did this damn thing in my game and it drove mm. me up the wall or, you know, right, right, I did right. this in a game and it, it was crazy or it's always the bad con stories, right? It's always the, the, story, sure. the, the con stories where something awful goes wrong. That's you right. Yeah. A good gaming story, right? A, a good, right. Something was awesome. And then yes. something else awesome happened and it was great. And you weren't yeah. there to experience it with me. Right. So it's that mm. if we're sharing it all together. Yeah. Everybody loves a disaster. Right. Everyone loves a disaster. Everyone can kind of poke. Oh yeah. Let me tell you my disaster. Oh, you think that's bad. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And yeah. that's the, that's the story. Whereas this was kind of a, I was having a great time. Mm. I, I, you know, I was helping, I was playing the table. I was, you were playing. helping. I'm doing air quotes again. You're helping. Yeah, I was helping. I was, I was, I was I helping was, somebody play right. <laughs> yeah and i and then i was and then i was doing that thing and i was just like oh my god what am i doing right and yeah, yeah. i didn't notice it or i didn't pick up on it and that was just right. really i don't know that was a, a little thing that i was just like yeah that's uh, yeah i was thinking about my con stories and usually yeah. they're sort of you know little han con disaster stories where right, i right right talk about right. Well, that, that was a con that was disaster a, story a of, of sorts to, but it was a learning there. moment that was like a uh, like yeah, a Sunday, it was, it was also just a good thing to keep in mind for yeah yeah when you're at a table with people. You're exactly. And particularly as this con season's hotting up now, right? Like there's yes. going to be lots of people awesome. at cons and, and all that. Yeah. It's sometimes when you're right in the moment, it's difficult to appreciate that there may be other people that also want to be in the moment as well. So yeah, there's a top tip for you from Morgan, from the, uh, from the Morgan Ellis playbook. Don't be Jane with all guns blazing metaphorically and literally. Well, don't be, you know, don't, uh, don't take away other people's fun because you're, even though you're having a good time, right? That's, that's no fun. That's right. You're right there. If everybody's not winning, then uh, everybody's everybody's not having fun. Then uh, nobody's winning, right? Is that right. How it goes? I can never remember what the golden rule is. All right. So here's your chance to show off your uh, your role playing credibility. Um, actually, I'm going to go for one first. If you had one role playing related wish, what would it be? 
So I had one role-playing related wish. Um, I would like to be able to, uh, in conventions especially, I would like to be able to get everyone on the same page. Uh, that would be great. Um, a lot of the games I like to run are mashups of various genres or very specific sort of things. And a lot of times I'll come to the game with a lot of excitement about that particular genre or about that particular mashup of genres. And I'll be like, okay, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be awesome. It has this mm -hmm. great stuff. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw in little in jokes and cool things. And if I get one person yeah. who recognizes that in like three games, right? right. It's great when that happens, but I kind of like, wouldn't that be great if that could always happen or if that yeah. would happen more frequently? Sure. And then you get the, the thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to do the Dresden Files, right? Okay, how many people have read the Dresden Files books or the RPG? Right. And the hands go up around the table, right? Or how many people have read Robo or Atomic Robo? Right. Only a couple, right? And so some people don't know exactly what it is, and you can try to give a brief pitch, and here's what it is. Or somebody has seen the television show or the movie or the, you know, they've seen. And so they're coming at it with different uh, expectations and different ideas of what it is. Right. And so, I mean, like the, the Star Wars game, for instance, right? I want to do Gendy Tartakovsky's, uh, you know, the appeared on Cartoon Network, uh, you know, not the 3D digital animated, but the uh, the cell the cell animated uh, Clone Wars cartoon. That's what we're going to try to emulate here. Right, right. And if people haven't seen that, or if people have no idea what that is, or if they've seen other things, and it's just that, right? If you get to the point where everyone could just come to the table and they know what we know what we're going to do, but even right. that, I mean. Even if everyone does, it's impossible. It's a it's a pipe dream. So, so you want a Morgan Ellis clone army taking over Gen Con and like four Morgan Ellis is coming? Like, I'd, like, I'd, like, I'd like like four Morgan Ellis clone. Yeah, I'd like four Morgan Ellis clones to play the game, and I, that would probably be like hell, right? That would be my role playing hell. Be, <laughs> Everybody yeah. out morganing each other. You can't Making get a joke in each way. Yeah, that would that would suck. How <laughs> would I be special? All be. four all four Morgans are just slightly sharper than you, just slightly. Yep. <laughs> That would be that. Or would slightly be awesome. sharper, right? In different areas, right? They're just, they're just waiting for that one point. I'm just That's like, right. Or maybe they're all just guessing what comes next in your plot, right? Oh, he's going to do this now. Oh, he's going to do that now. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. For all the marbles, then Morgan, I'm adding up to a hundred assigned points to reflect the relative importance of system GM and uh, and players. Yeah, I think I actually wrote this one down. Uh, system GM and um, I think system is about twenty. Right. I think um, I've seen people do amazing things with crap systems, and I've seen people, you know, do horrible things with really great systems. So I think system is important, but I don't th I think it matters, but I don't think it's the be-all, end-all. Mm -hmm. uh, the GM, I think, is about 30 and does a lot, but I think the players and their ability to buy in and the ability to help you run the game and help make things happen and being proactive are about 50. I think that's really, that's my split. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, Morgan Ellis. And until next week, keep talking the walk.